John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh! Absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. A sunsplash, Kenny Florian today on the road, getting ready for some broadcasting duties this weekend. If the challenge for us today is to spend 30 minutes on Robert Whitaker, we could probably do that after what we saw Saturday night. It's great to have you with us as always. We never take your participation for granted. It's Monday, April 19th. The year is 2021, episode 297 of the Anakin Florian podcast, creeping up on 300. Ken Flo, it's great to see your smiling face, my friend. It's a little late, so uh, this is the version of me that you get. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I like the energy off the top, kid. This is uh, this is nice, but uh, nice little main event we had this weekend. Energy should not be an issue for me. It is 6.31 p.m. Eastern time, only the third Twilight primetime style episode of the Anakin Florian podcast. So where are you right now? Right now, I'm in Atlantic City uh, getting re- ready for the PFL later this week and uh, got some nice sun over here. Yeah. Got, the, got the view view of the beach over here to my left. It's nice. Cody, did you notice the pregnant pause before he revealed location? He's like, wait a second. I'm calling a PFL show. <laughs> Everybody knows I'm going to be in Atlantic City, so uh, it's okay to reveal that. All right, so let us begin with headlines, and we will not shortchange Robert Whitaker. Time permitting, we will certainly get to Jake Paul and Ben Askren and all of that noise, for lack of a better word. Certainly, I would imagine Longo has some uh, thoughts on that, and it is a fight week for Chris Weidman, of course, so Ray coming up here in about 10 minutes. Uh, And then all sorts of good stuff at the main event challenge. Odds Sharks, Joe Osborne with the pick to click. But Robert Whitaker, I mean – Could you not watch this guy fight all day? Like, I'm just going to shut the fuck up and let you talk about it. But he beat a special fighter in Kelvin Gastelum as far as I am concerned. You know, uh, I understand that Gastelum became a little bit uh, of a one-trick pony in this fight. But Whitaker is the total package. He certainly looks ready to challenge for a belt that he once had. Uh, Your thoughts on on largely what was 25 minutes of brilliance from, uh, from Bob Whitaker there over the weekend? It really was. Um, I, I came away extremely impressed by Robert Whitaker and what he was able to do against Kelvin Gastelum, who is one of the toughest guys in that division. Uh, and Kelvin uh, can really beat you on a lot of different fronts, but really was not able to get it done anywhere against Robert Whitaker. Whitaker won the striking aspect. He won the grappling aspect. He won the wrestling aspect uh, of that fight and was just extremely dominant and proved that he deserves a rematch against Israel Adesanya. And uh, Whitaker showed a a much more uh, uh, mature approach, much more precise approach. And I think that Kelvin would have given, I think, you know, 95% of the guys in that division um, an extremely tough go. I, I mean, he's capable, obviously, of beating many people in that division. I still ultimately came back to hurt that he coming for the fact that he was so aggressive allowed Robert Whitaker, yeah, um, to utilize his style with um, just flair and precision and beauty. What a performance! 
Sometimes when I'm watching KG, I think, man, he's one big left hand away from the world title or the signature win over a number one contender type. So there's a whole different conversation about Kelvin Gastelum. But for Robert Whitaker, you know, to have rallied back, for lack of a better verb, from this loss to Adesanya with three straight wins of such a high quality, to his words after the fight, there's nothing else left for him to do but to rematch Israel Adesanya, even if he was somewhat of a reluctant number one contender prior. At this point, he's stacked two wins on top of those words. I mean, he's got to be the guy, and uh, I think Adesanya would probably publicly acknowledge as much. He he really showed a high fight IQ here in this fight against Kelvin Gastelum, which he's going to certainly need against someone like Israel Adesanya. His approach against Israel um, was very unusual, just – you know, we, we typically don't see a Robert Whitaker who is furiously looking for the finish from the get-go. In this fight, we saw, you know, not only did we see a, a more skilled Robert Whitaker, but we saw the Robert Whitaker who is really more like a computer, who likes to sit back, analyze, compute the information, and then pick you apart. And he did that extremely well here against Kelvin Gastelum. And I expect him to have this kind of approach when he gets that second chance against Adesanya. He really is a five tool fighter. And we've talked in the past on these airwaves about his love of grappling and, you know, even talking about being in America for as long as he was for this trip, picking up new tricks that he's going to bring back to the jujitsu room. So uh, just the appetite for, for martial arts is about as healthy as it's ever been. And, you know, doing things on his terms, right. Had the kid, I think a fourth child, God bless him in January, I believe. And uh, then gets right back at it and a big win change of opponent and everything else. Uh, couldn't, have uh, enough good things to say about Robert Whitaker. And I talked to about like doing it his own way. And obviously there's been an evolution in him, the fighter, but he's yeah. done things his own way and still resonated with fight fans around the world. And uh, I don't know, I think totally. he's a very special athlete and uh, hall of fame fighter for me as he continues to stack up these ones. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, we called his first official fight in the UFC back That's in the right. day. And uh, I know we both you and I came away very impressed with his maturity Even back then, then when yeah. he was early in his 20s and just the, the, the way he was going about his interviews and his approach. Um, and this guy has continued to evolve uh, his mixed martial arts game. Um, he really now is fighting at his peak. Uh, I'm really excited to see what kind of Robert Whitaker we get in his next fight. Yeah, we called that epic UFC debut when he won the tough smashes. No, was it smashes? Whatever yeah, it was, it was, it was on smashes. the yeah, it was on the yeah. Gold Coast. 2012, maybe. I remember back then his his social media handle was like Robert Whitaker 1990. Back when we used to be wowed by the fact that a fighter was right. born in the 90s. Speaking of which, we have a fighter making his debut at UFC 261. Wrong Um Wrong Jew is how I've been trying to like remember the pronunciation, like incorrect Jew, wrong right. Jew. And he was born in 2000. So, I mean, we're Man. talking Ken Flo coming up on 25 when this kid's born. It's, God, it's so bad. Cancel the rest of the Whoa. show, Cody. All right. So love Robert Whitaker, of course, upstaged in some part in the headlines 
by Jake Paul and Ben Askren, but another signature win in a career full of them for, for Robert Whitaker. So uh, you got 30 seconds for me on Adesanya Whitaker too, and how you might handicap a yeah. rematch before I get your thoughts on where Gastelum goes from here. I mean, obviously the first fight was not competitive. You talked a little bit about the strategy, um, but again, this type of winning streak, I think will give betters a lot of uh, incentive to back Whitaker in a rematch with Adesanya. Your thoughts? Well, listen, immediately, um, I think that it would be a very different fight. I, I don't know if he can get it done against someone like Adesanya because physically he has a lot of different traits, his reach, um, you know, his length, and, and of course, all of the different weapons that Adesanya can use. I think it would be a difficult matchup for Whitaker, but I definitely think it would be a much closer matchup the second time around, especially if we're seeing this kind of Robert Whitaker with the footwork, with the precision, with the way that he is analyzing his opponents. Um, I, I give him um, a much, much better shot the second time around. All right. So as far as Kelvin Gaslam is concerned, if I was a, a pro fighter, Kenny, right? He's like, oh, where is this going now? This fucking idiot that I aligned with for this goddamn podcast. <laughs> if I was a pro fighter, I'd probably compete at featherweight long term because I wouldn't have the discipline to compete at bantamweight, which is where I sure. belong. You know, I think I would be at my most lethal five, nine, pretty long at 135 pounds. And that brings me to Kelvin Gastelum. And I talk about these left hands just being just an inch away from the target. It seems like all the time in these big moments. And maybe that's just the fan in me. But hashtag on a mission for gold that dates to 2013 when we called his UFC debut. You know, this is a championship setback for him. And I'm just wondering aloud if this championship is going to be materialized and realized for Kelvin Gastelum. You know, I think he's fighting up a weight class in a lot of respects. I really do. Every time I watch him, I feel like he's fighting in the wrong weight class. A hundred percent. And, you know, we have certainly talked about this many times over the last, you know, several years. And, and, and again, this is not a knock on Kelvin Gastelum. He's still one of the best middleweights in the world. Uh, but I, I do think that he is undersized, especially when you look at him um, uh, against, you know, guys like the champion. But, you know, Whitaker was a 170 pounder before and he looked right. way bigger than Kelvin Gastelum. So, yeah, I do think that Kelvin may, perhaps with some more discipline could get down to 170 pounds. He certainly packs a lot of muscle on his frame. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, Kelvin wants to compete as healthy as possible and, right, and maybe right. 185 pounds is where he stays. But I think at this point, he's got to be thinking about potentially going back down to welterweight. It's a tricky thing because I know how much he wants to be a UFC champion. But again, just look at his teammate, Marvin Vittori, who's an animal, you know, and right. again, Gasolum is top five at 185 pounds. He's a top yes. five middleweight. And I like guys, generally speaking, competing when they are healthy, but I just think it's hard to sort of navigate the size. And it's not like Whitaker is an oversized middleweight necessarily, but uh, I don't know. I like Gasolum and uh, it's going to be a tough one for him, but we'll see. Obviously he's coming off a win not all that long ago, but again, I think it's a loss at four or five, if I'm not mistaken for, uh, for Kelvin Gasolum. All right. Co-main event was going to be Jeremy Stevens moving back up to 155 pounds against Dracar Close. But I guess there was some heat on this fight during fight week. If you missed it, uh, you can Google the video. Jeremy Stevens with a forceful push into the chest of Dracar Close, who was wearing slides and suffered some sort of injury and the fight is off. You're kind of smirking at me a little bit. I mean, that shove would have put me out for three months. So <laughs> what do you have before I give you my opinion on this? What do you have for me on the co-main event getting scratched on fight day? Because Jeremy Stevens was uh, was in a shoving mood the day prior. 
Yeah, man. Listen, I, I was pretty disappointed. Um, you know, I enjoy watching Jeremy Stevens fight. Uh, he's an exciting guy to watch. Uh, it was going to be, you know, his return to lightweight. Uh, and I don't know, man, I guess he was just so fired up. He, he pushed his uh, opponent and apparently you don't want to get pushed by Jeremy Stevens. Imagine getting hit by Jerry, Jeremy Stevens, let alone being pushed by him. He's got some power. And I think, you know, for Jakar Close, I think he was up and, and kind of super relaxed and kind of not really tensing his body and and maybe just kind of swung back almost like he was in a kind of car accident and maybe hurt his yes. neck and head. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I, I I'm a little surprised at, at you know at the result. You know, he got an MRI and all that stuff. And and here's the other thing: it's hard to say. Listen, I, maybe I'm defending Jeremy a little bit, but it's hard to say that there wasn't an issue heading into that fight, right? I mean, he's cutting weight. Um, he's dehydrated, you know, who knows what happened the week of the fight or the weeks leading up to the fight, if there was yeah. something that was there, but it, it's unfortunate all the way around. I think Jeremy Stevens is going to learn from this. That it, it really sucks for everybody involved, man. Cause I really did want to see that fight. As did I, and I will go the other way on it. And I have personal relationships with most of these men and women on the roster. So I will preface my comments by saying, and I'll look straight into the camera. Jeremy Stevens is the fucking man. Absolutely love the guy, but you can't push an unsuspecting athlete that forcefully and not expect something to go awry in my fan opinion, right? Like COVID-19 climate, Ken Flo, everybody's wearing a mask on. It's just, you know. Again, I, I feel like Stevens has no one to blame but himself, unfortunately. You know, yes, it's disappointing. And yes, I was surprised like everybody else was that the fight went off. But, um, you know, like there's a lot at stake here. And, yeah. you know, I don't know. Like to me, if I'm betting the fight and the fight goes on, it's like give me the guy that got a real super forceful push in the night before to bust. Right. You know what I mean? It's like. Well, it was again, you know, and, and I should I should say this. It, it was a horrible decision by Jeremy. Um and I think for a lot of fighters, I hope it's a, it's a lesson to them um, to not do something stupid where you could injure your opponent. You guys are going to fight tomorrow. You're going to fight the next yeah. day. Yeah. Put them and put them back in the holster. Yeah. Take it easy. <laughs> I'm sure Longo has a lot to say about that. We also, time permitting, we'll get to some fight announcements that broke. Since we were last on the air, Amanda Nunes will defend her title at 135 pounds against Juliana Pena. Fascinating matchup that. And of course, the ageless Glover Teixeira in a light heavyweight championship fight against Jan Bohovic. But uh, it is fight week for Carolina Chris. And you do not. <laughs> Keep Ray Longo in the StreamYard waiting room. Let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. All right, Ray Longo is staring down the computer right now. The camera I'm told we got 30 minutes with you today, so I don't want to waste time. It's great to see you. Ken Flo was commenting on your hair in our little pre-show meeting there. Back to my hair. All right. I get where you're <laughs> coming from. So you have been on fire the last two weeks. We'll see if you can produce for the listeners during what is a massive pay-per-view week. I mean, do I start with Chris Weidman or do I start with Jake Paul, I guess is the question. Uh, where are you right now? Where are you? I'm at the gym. I got it. And I'm, right. uh, I'm going to have to have somebody start the class. But this comes first. Huh. You know, you right. someone's going to start your first. class I mean, here at seven. What's more serious? So I someone's going to start your class here in fourteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, someone's yeah, yeah. going to start. <laughs> <laughs> if you hear a lot of weird screams in there, they're, they're all practicing. Uh, all right, man, Jake look, Paul. The Jake Paul thing. First off, production. 
horrendous. I don't even, I mean, I think everybody's on board with that. And, you know, A plus to Pete Davidson for calling it like it is, just a total piece of shit, uh, which was great. Um, who thought, who, any, who thought Ashgram was winning? Any of you guys think that? Well, who were these people, honestly? I guess there are some high-profile fighters out there. I'm not going to drop names right no, now. But who were these people? Making- Big bets. I got a someone sent me a three thousand dollar ticket on Ben Askren. I'll take your fucking action. Jesus. You know, I mean, the, the point is this. I mean, even when it was first announced, right? Like I, this is the way I broke it down in my head. Like he he was coming out with you know the mentality. This guy's never fought before. Bloody blah, blah. You know. The, so based on that mentality, he could enter the New York Golden Gloves novice division and win, right? That's it. I mean, those guys never fought before. They got under 10 fights. Some guys have right. no fights. He's not survive. I mean, like we have a boxing club over here, Westbury Boxing. He's not surviving a week at 190 pounds with a novice fighter. Like a novice fighter. I mean, those guys can fucking hit. They've been training for a couple of years. I just don't know how anybody. And I like Ben. I, I really do. I mean, I like he, Ben. And he's great. Even he's, uh, you know, always humble in defeat, does a great thing with the kids. No, there's n- it's not a knock on him, but who the fuck thought that guy could win that fight? I, I just don't get it. I mean, there's I don't care if this guy ever fought it before he's in the gym. I mean, now if Ben would have been in the boxing gym for like two or three years, maybe that's a you know, it's definitely going to look differently. But that's the way I originally broke it down. Like, so he's he thinks he could just walk into the Golden Gloves and win, and win the even a novice like he's it's not happening. Like, it's not even coming close to happen. I don't even think he can make it to the gloves because he's not going to survive those gym wars, Ken. Seriously, is it me? No, listen, he's never looked good as a striker. I mean, he's looked horrible as a striker. Here's the thing. It's like when you don't look good shadow boxing, like when when you're shadow boxing, you can't even look good. There's a problem. However, you know, you're like, I don't know. For me, it's upsetting, Ray, because, you know, in, in a way, whether you like it or not, he's representing the mixed martial arts community. He's, re- he's representing the wrestling community to a certain extent as well, and it's a totally different sport. But at the same time, take some pride in what you're doing. You're going to compete in a professional fight. It yeah. is a fight at the end of the day, and right. you're going against a YouTuber or whatever, you know, a big kid, strong kid, whatever it is. But have some pride and put some effort into your performance and put some effort into your training. You can't you – can't, you can't go out there and compete like that. I don't care how much money you're getting paid. You got to take yeah. pride in that. And it's unfortunate because yeah. Askren is an amazing wrestler and he was an amazing mixed martial arts fighter 100%. for a while. Based on what he did, you know, it was it was unbelievable. Uh, never 100%. the best striker, never a good striker. But come on. I, I, to right. me, it was just disappointing to see that result. And I would have hoped to see an Askren that has been a competitor in some shape or form in combat sports his whole life and to see that kind of performance it's just yeah, i don't know it's a it's, a, it's people, a big slap yeah and for the people that think it was stopped early you're crazy but he was hard what was he gonna do seriously yeah. you can't take uh, the guy down what was he gonna do like if right. he was a boxer maybe you give him a second chance but what do you yeah, do take more damage yeah i mean he looked awful but whatever right. but and and on that same note hats off to frank mia because he fought a guy who was an ex-champion. No doubt. No doubt. And at least, you know, a little head movement. He was in there. Right. Obviously, the size helped him. But, you know, he accepted the responsibility of getting hit. He came back a bunch of times. 
I thought he made that was good. That was a, a and nice that was a cruiserweight world champion. I mean, that, yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. that's world a champion, not, not a YouTuber, right? right? Yeah, not a YouTuber. Right. Now, you know, so that's off to Frank. I thought he did a great job. Absolutely. Now, I will say, I do hear from people on the Jake Paul side who say that he has just works exceedingly hard and trains well. So I will say that Kenflo's just looking at me like, "What are you doing, bro?" Who's so, saying I, this? You know what anyway, I mean? It's like, well, well hang saying? on, hang on. Here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, hey, right. my comments are well documented all over social media. I think Ray, we need to take Kenflo's comments about Ben Askren as a striker a little bit further, okay? Because th- I do have a problem with this, right? We're trotting out historically a guy who is ubiquitously regarded as one of the worst strikers in MMA history, right? right. One of the worst pure striker, and, striking and types to be in the U- – Well, right. admittedly. And I say that, and those aren't yeah. my words. I say that yeah. with all respect, right? So I am just saying my thesis statement is that I just think it's important for people to know that the fighter that they saw in there against Jake Paul is not even close to a a representation of a below average MMA striker. So I'm saying there are hundreds of guys on this roster, men and women, but men outside the top 40 in their division, you know, who would be five to one favorites against this guy. So to me, I just don't understand why. It, it, it's a joke, right? You're sending in a guy who just had hip replacement surgery, who's a right. retired fighter, who is literally, I mean, give me 18 right. months. I'm more of a striker than yeah, Ben yeah. Askren is. And he's not a striker at all. hundred percent. But it's kind, of, it's kind of apples and oranges. And let, let's, let's admit one thing. Those guys meet on the street. Jake Paul gets the shit beat out of him. He gets taken yeah, but, down. But, 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 There's nothing he could do about it. And he gets mauled on the bottom. You know what I mean? So but this was a boxing match. Boxing match. I mean, I was like, how do they think this guy's going to win? He, he never had punching power ever. It, it, I, I just, I was confused. I was like, I don't even know why this is happening. But uh, crazy, crazy. I, I almost felt like that whole event is a microcosm of what our country looks like today. I swear to God, it's a, yeah. like a joke. Yeah. Not seriously, like, what in the hell were we looking at? I, I really have no idea. You know, I had someone from like the internet just threw up on a stream. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what it was. It was just like the streaming event just, just threw up. I had someone from Team Florian call me today, and he would not stop talking about a prime Kenny Florian just jabbing this kid to death and then just popping his head off. You know, he's like, Ken Florian moved up to 190 and smoke that cat, and boxing was his second best discipline. So listen, listen, here, here's here's the thing. Askren. You know, I think that no matter what it is, you, you you have to take a certain amount of pride in yourself. And I think that he put himself in a horrible spot, man. You know, you, you're a professional fighter, your former professional fighter. Um, he was considered one of the best welterweights in the world at one point in mixed martial arts. Exactly. And he's got, you know, you look at his last three, four performances, you know, t- talk about going from the top all the way to the bottom and now kind of turning yourself into, you know, going from one of the best welterweights in the world to now being a joke. It, it, I hate seeing that. I hate seeing it when guys just don't respect themselves and don't respect their own legacy and don't respect the sport to a certain extent, whether it's a guy that's staying in the game way too long and getting yeah. knocked out one after another and letting, you know, newcomers come and just beat the hell out of them. It's not cool. It, it's not cool yeah. for them. I don't like to see it. And uh, especially guys who have, you know, been world champions or, or been at the top of the sport, I, I, I don't think, I don't think it's the way 
you know, they should be portrayed. I, you know, whatever. I can't control that, but it, it, it's a shame. It's and, and I gotta say, we got to get rid of this just selling your soul for money. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I hope that was worth it to him. Right. You know, well, no, mean? his son's right. His son's going to say to him one day, like sitting there at Duke where it costs like 82,000 a year. He's going to be like, my tuition was paid for by that. Uh, when my dad fought Jake Paul, you know, yeah. and Ben, he don't give a shit right with all the Bitcoin. He'll be fine. But he'll he'll say to his son, like, look, son, you know, like back then your your mom and I walked back to the locker room laughing because one point two million was being dropped into our bank account. But I agree with you, Ray. Like, I think a lot of us are are put off by this to whatever degree defending MMA to whatever degree. I'm talking literally, though, uh, to your point, Ray, there are plenty of if Jake, if Jake Paul really wants a challenge in the boxing realm, there are plenty of boxers that would fit the mold that would be favored to beat him. The question is, who can move the needle? Right. Like who right. can move well, the needle exactly. enough to get the fight, Kenny? Like Tyron Woodley has injected himself into this whole situation. And I think he's a five, six to one favorite, if not bigger against Jake Paul. And Jake Paul's not going to take that fight. So. Probably not. Right? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, then you hear everyone else is coming out of the woodwork now. It's like all these other guys that are like retired MMA fighters are coming out of the war. You're like, no, no. I don't know. It's well, right. BJ Penn, God love him. Right. But it's like, we can throw BJ Penn in there right now. You know, yeah, he would be an underdog. Yeah. It's not going to stop for a while either. It's actually not going to stop because right. I guess everybody loves to see a train wreck. Uh, I don't know, but it's not, I don't see it stopping. They'll get a couple of more, uh, you know, uh, shows out of it and then maybe P will die off. But, uh, what a complete, what a horror show! Even the production, what a piece of shit that was! <laughs> Holy crap! <Yeah. laughs> I don't even. I just it was tough. It was really tough, man. Poor Al Bernstein, boy, one of the best boxing yeah. commentators or play-by-play yeah. guy. He had to sit up there and fucking Snoop Dogg's blowing fucking weed in his face. The guy's like, guys, yeah. this is just, yeah. I mean, this is this was this was hysterical. I don't know. Meanwhile, yeah, John's trying to figure out how he gets that job. I don't even know who the other guy was, but when he said, I don't really know much about what's going on, but Ben Askren has pillow hands. I mean, even he could recognize it. I don't even, I don't, I like, I don't know which guy that was that said it, but crazy, crazy stuff. What else? All right. No, I mean, I took boxing lessons in 2005 and 2006 in Woburn, Massachusetts, you know, and I, I do know how important head movement is and how like move your, like, just move your head a little bit. Like, can we start there, Ben? Look, look, the the thing with boxing and why I like to make my guys box is because you get used to getting hit. And that's a huge thing. You have to accept the responsibility of getting hit. And there's no place to run. You can't take a guy down. I think it's, you got to make everybody box at the beginning because you, it's going to breed a certain amount of toughness. I'm not looking to get anybody hurt or CT, but if you're afraid of getting hit and you, you don't know how to deal with punches coming in, you're you're, you're just, it's it's just inevitable that it's not going to go your way. Yeah. Like just, there's a lot of good, attributes that are built just on boxing all right well i don't want to uh delay you getting to the uh the senior jujitsu offering at longo wyman mma that hits here at the top of the hour so we're, we're not gonna I, I don't know if we have time to talk about robert whitaker they didn't they no didn't no sure no what a um, master, masterful right. performance i mean what just an absolute listen, stud, against, huh? against the killer man too you know yeah. uh and Gaston looked like he really came out trying to push that action. He looked like he was, he looked different, you know, but 
you can't hurt what you can't hit, right? And like Whitaker's yeah. movement and the way he controlled the range of that fight was phenomenal. So Gastelum, he wants you to go straight back until there's no more real estate. Then he starts unloading on you. This mm. guy would go back and then cut an angle and fight on his terms, you know, interrupt him. And uh, just a great, great performance by Robert Whitaker against a super tough guy that, look, even with a minute left, you were still thinking Gastelum could get him. You know what I mean? Because that's the power Gastelum has. And talk about a guy with a cement head. Holy crap. Can that oh guy my gosh. punch, man? So it was a great fight. Uh, I love Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, but, you know, Whitaker really just did a, a just a masterful job with his movement. And it's just even his jab. And he was in and out and mixing up the oh. takedowns. Just, he did, they just fought a, uh, you know, A-plus. Yeah, like almost like a mixed martial arts tutorial, like an open workout, just showing off. And you're right about Gastelum. I mean, say what you want about him in terms of past criticisms, but he was in outstanding shape, you know, and obviously put training camps on top of each other, stepped up here for the promotion and uh, and deserves credit. And you know what? If for nothing else, even if KG doesn't break, break through and win a UFC championship, his fight with Adesanya is going into the Hall of Fame. So he's going to get one of those Hall of Fame trophies and jackets, just like, you know, Clay Guidon, Stefan Bonner, and some of these other guys that, that didn't quite break through. Um, all right. So when are you wheels up to Jacksonville? Like what is going on? If you don't know, Chris Weidman is fighting on pay-per-view this weekend. He will be the appetizer leading into back-to-back-to-back championship fights in this rematch with Uriah Hall. Um, you getting butterflies, man. I'm getting a little bit. Oh, anxious. Yeah, that's good. Good feeling. I'll be there Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Okay. So you got to fly through somewhere, I would imagine, or a straight shot to Jacksonville? No, straight shot. Oh, you're in New York. Yeah, you just JFK wherever you wherever you want in the world pretty much, huh? Exactly. There you so go. So Wednesday morning, and then we, uh, I guess we got to be COVID tested by 8 p.m. Is that your uh, directive as well? I, that I didn't hear about. All I right, thought it was going right. to be a little looser, but I heard it's going to be just like uh, Vegas. All right. Well, I'm driving. You are driving. Uh, I will see you there. How's Chris doing? I mean, what can you tell me? Do you know the betting odds? Uh, I think he's like a plus 100. Is that true? Oh, you know the betting odds. You are all <laughs> goddamn over it. He is a slight underdog as we sit here on Monday evening yeah. of Fight Week, yes. Yeah, look, it's a it's an exciting fight. He sent me the countdown special last night. I think get goosebumps, man, watching, you know, because even I, – I think we've talked about his fight with Uriah in the ring of combat. It was one of those local fights that was had the, the magnitude of a – of an Anderson Silva fight for that type of promotion. And uh, I I remember that just like it was yesterday. And yeah. Uriah Hall was considered a killer. I think he was undefeated at the time. And, uh, man, Weidman was just – Weidman was unstoppable. He really was. At that point, I don't think anybody was going to beat him. Uh, he just was that guy, man. He did mm. Good luck with him. He was mauling people. So, so you'll be there. You'll be in the corner, health permitting. And uh, all right, my man. Well, that's really all I got for you. I'm very, very excited to see how this thing plays out. Uriah Hall gets the red corner as the uh, as the higher ranked fighter. So plenty of time for you guys just to sit there and marinate with fifteen thousand breathing down your neck. I can't wait for these fans, man. I oh, cannot wait. You can't, can't wait. wait. Cannot wait. Can't. You got, you, I mean, vac- are you vaccinated? I, I am partially partially vaccinated. Oh wait, so you didn't I'm get not, your second shot yet? No, we're not all the way uh, home, Raymond. We're please, uh, we're walking please, into a hornet's nest. Please don't go. Please don't go, John. Please. I I don't need. I mean, hey, maybe if my boss is listening, maybe we'll call in the reserves. But uh, 
No, I'm excited to be there. I'm excited to be there. I'm excited to drive there. No airplanes for me. And uh, I'm excited to see you. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. And I missed you Saturday night. Did you hear that Austin Hubbard fight when uh, Dominic Cruz said, man, Mark Montoya gave Austin Hubbard great advice in between rounds. Did you hear that? I, I did not hear that. Only it wasn't Montoya. Tell it was me. another bald guy that was a little dark. <laughs> oh, I, okay. I right. was crying. I go, I was, I almost oh. texted you. Like, I, I just let, it's funny. I like busting, I like busting his balls, man. I don't know why, but that, no, that's funny. I was fast asleep even during the prelim portion. I watched most of the card in the morning. Jessica wow. Penne getting a big win back for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Gerald Mershart getting a bonus. Tony Gravely as well. Whitaker's teammate, Jacob Malkoon too, getting a UFC win. His great fight. That's a big him. one for him and Arlovsky. Yeah. Decent card, decent card, but you know, I'm focused on this championship triple header. Raymond, we're down to 13 fights better than 14. So we're all systems go. We're undeterred. We're ready to go, Ray. We're ready to undeterred. go. Undeterred. Well, undeterred. Um, we, all right. Well, uh, no, we're undeterred. We're unfucking deterred. I have one homework assignment for you on Friday night when you're sitting in quarantine in your hotel room. Okay? What is it? What you got to watch. You got to watch Ken Flo's PFL broadcast. Oh, 100%. <laughs> that goes without. You don't have to. That's no assignment. That's yeah. mandatory. Oh, yeah. man. I don't that's know. Awesome. I'm not trying to like help ratings, but he might fight. Like, I don't know if he's going to like go in there. But... <laughs> well, you're still pushing him. I'll tell you, I Too talked old, to. Man. Kamosi's fighting, right? He calls me the other day, asked me a question about something, whatever. But so he, I go, what, when are you fighting? He goes, the 29th. He had to go out 17 days before. Yes. And get tested every day. 17 yep. days. Like we're at the end of it. I don't even think they would do that at the beginning of the virus. Yeah. That's 17 days. Where's he fighting? Atlantic you, City. All, it's all here. So there's a lot. All the fighters have been here for like weeks. Oh, I mean, oh, Kenny. Yeah. So they're here. Are you playing out too or no? I'm here right now. Yeah. So you I, had ju- I just got here. I got here today. Oh, wow. I so, but are today. you going to be, do you even know accommodation? Are you going to be like around the athletes or are you going to be isolated? No. So I'm pretty isolated. They have it all broken down. Yeah. Into, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's like why you get be. to come in. I'm quarant- Yeah. I'm, I'm actually right. quarantining as you speak. Yeah. Ken is like, yeah, wow. I need a, uh, I'm going to need a trailer. Can you believe they won't, can you believe that they won't pick me up in a car in my hallway? I mean, it's ridiculous. That's horrible. It's horrible. ridiculous. Oh. I have uh, to look at going. people in the casino. I mean, it's unbelievable. Right. Right. How long? <laughs> how said, they're going to put me on a throne as I walk through anyway. So <laughs> gonna it's going to be great. What a what fanfare when this guy hits the microphone. Oh, my God. Unreal. Yeah. I got someone's got to talk. I can't even contain myself. <laughs> no, but we're very excited for that. Is it ESPN two ESPN plus? It's going to be it's going to be ESPN plus, And then we move to ESPN two. Uh, okay. by like the, the right. middle of the format. So, yeah. all right. Well, Ray and I will be texting from quarantine, maybe a little FaceTime with me and Raymond and Jackson, but, but Ray, I will see you well, in a couple of days. Um, we wish you all the best sincerely. And, uh, I look forward to seeing Joe you and, him, and Chris, our best. We'll see you in a couple of days. My man. I definitely will. You guys are the best, man. I'll see you in a couple of days. Be safe, man. Take right, it there easy. he is. Ray Longo bringing it strong on Jake Paul. And a lot of people are asking why I even entered the fray on the whole Jake Paul, Ben Askren thing. You know, it's interesting yeah. because I remember back when Randy Couture beat James Tony, and the result 
was an eventuality. You know, he was going to ground James Tony, who was so out of his world and pound him out. And I think Randy was properly priced three, four, five, six to one favorite, you know, Hmm. and I'm sitting here looking at this Jake Paul, Ben Askren betting line. Oh, I'm like, what am I missing? What am I missing? And I wasn't missing anything, you know, Um, I just should have, you know, done the whole max bet thing instead of a little sprinkle, you know, but my God, I mean, I don't know with all respect to Ben Askren. I'm just not sure what people were expectant that he was going to do to win that fight. Was he going to clinch him? Like what exactly was he going to do to, to, to win that fight? You know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I was hoping that he would just be able to withstand flurries and then kind of bring, bring the fight into deep territory and, and maybe, see Paul, you know, tired at the end right, and he right. kind of rabbit punches way to victory. Right, right. I don't know. You know, it's just, it was hard to watch, man. And, uh, you know, he, he has no business competing in a striking fight against pretty much anyone. Well, that's so punch and right. that's the problem, but right, that's the issue. Like know. when Jake Paul fought, excuse me, former NBA player, Nate Robinson, you know, I gave Nate Robinson a much better chance than Ben Askren, you know, because he was training in the discipline and not for nothing. Like he's a an outstanding professional athlete with a lot of gifts. And, uh, you know, like Kendall Gill, who played for the Charlotte Hornets for years, is a boxing enthusiast and has been trying to get the fight with Jake Paul. That's the name that I would inject into the conversation right now. You know, forget trying mm-hmm. to isolate a UFC fighter, you know, because you're not going to be able to find the right balance of a challenge and the profile, right? Tyron Woodley maybe would fit the profile, maybe would move the needle enough. I'm not even sure, but probably too much of a fighter to fight, right? Tyron's knocking out Jake Paul. I right. mean, so no, yeah. you have to find that middle ground. So is Kendall right. Gill the guy? You know, I mean, I don't know if Kendall Gill could cut down to 190 pounds, but super disciplined guy. I just would like to see him fight a boxer or a striker. Um, you know, what's uh, going? I mean, are we going to have to get Daniel Cormier in there? I mean, Jake Paul talking shit to my boy DC. What's up? Well, he I think DC it. is one of those people who might have picked uh, Benjamin Askren to to get the job done. So perhaps that is the source of that ire. But DC, I think, respectfully declined. Maybe not even so respectfully. Um, yeah. DC would uh, destroy him. All right. It is time for my uh, my favorite part of the show. It's the pronunciation of the week. And... Kenny, these, nice to see you, Cody Merrill, rocking the brand new Boston Red Sox uh, marathon style jersey. I mean, yes. like they ship to you, like why they ship to you first, no matter what. Like these things hot off the press, and it's in it's in your apartment. Yeah, I mean, when you're an influencer like me, kind of you get free That's product, right. you That's wear right. it, you put it on your story a little bit, it sells yeah. product. That's I right. mean, they didn't sell it for no reason. Come on, Johnny. <laughs> So uh, we have a lot of names that we could have used on this card. We have several Chinese fighters making their uh, their UFC debuts. Orichi Lang, Rong Zhu, and uh, there's Judy. one more who's uh, – and Liang Na, um, Ariana Carne Losi we could have hit you with, Kevin Natividad. I've been practicing these all week, but the, the name we're hitting you with for the pronunciation of the week for UFC 261, Cody Merrow, is uh, Bantamweight Prelim, UFCFightPass.com. Kevin Natividad's opponent uh, is whom, Cody? Hit us with it. So my difficulty here is I can't roll my R's, and I think that would really, really help me out in this situation. But Dana Batgarel is the fighter that you're speaking of. Let's hear him. Dana Batgarel. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Dana Batgarel. Excuse me? 
One more time, see ya. What do you One more. Tana, Bakhtiri. Can't flow any idea. Dude, uh, I'm okay, right? I, I could speak some different languages. I'm okay. I can get by in some different languages. I can't help you on that one. No, I'm you, out. You're selling yourself short. You are help you. our foremost authority on these matters. All right, here's the deal. You nailed the first name. And again, Cody does not listen to these files. He's pretty gifted in this space, but it's Dana Botgeri. We actually go Botgeri. Um, yes, you roll the R, but it's not Botgerel. It's Botgeri. So, uh, well, but again, I'm when you guys. I'm not going to get a retry, am I? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, at this point, I've called a fight involving this guy. So you start to commit it to memory a little bit. But it's going to be a tough night. We have a Stefan Sekulich, I believe it is. We've got a lot of different names that are going to be uh, – that are going to nice. test us. Uh, all right, Cody. Well, uh, so, I mean, I guess you're two and two. It was a tough one, but you're, you're two and two, man. You're back to 500. Hey, I'm, I have a better record here than Ben Askren does as a boxer. So it's a good point. Uh, that's, 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 right. that's good. He's 0-1. He's 0-1. All right, UFC 261, Usman versus Masvidal 2. We have five predictions coming up. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And it. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, Team Florian wins the week. Needed it 5-4. You'll take it. Doesn't really matter the margin. You're just trying to chip away, as you so often do. Uh, overall lead for Team Anik, though, is 48-38. to 38. And joining us to make picks for oh. UFC 261 is an esteemed podcaster and a pretty sharp handicapper in his own right as well. From the Punchless MMA podcast on social media at Punchless MMA, Dale Lippin, as in put your fucking lip in, put your Copenhagen in your bottom lip, Push your lip in. Dale Lippin, it's great to see you, my friend. How you doing? Good. I'm doing great, man. It's great to see you guys again. It's like a reunion of sorts. Saw you a couple <laughs> weeks ago, and then Kenny and I go back a few years. So, yeah, it's great to be back and in the mix with everybody again. Thanks for having me, man. This is great. So I went on your podcast a few weeks ago, and I was immediately struck by your voice. So we're happy to have those tones on the Anakin Florian podcast. Question is, how are you going to do against Ken Flo? And I'm really curious how you guys handicap these three title fights, especially because two of them have fairly prohibitive favorites. But we're going to start with the pay-per-view opener in the light heavyweight division, number 13 versus number six. 25-year-old Jimmy Crute. 12 and 1 overall. He's 4 and 1 of the UFC, Dale. 2 and 0 with a couple of finishes last year. He's the minus 200 favorite here against the plus 155 underdog, Anthony Lionheart Smith, who, of course, has been there and done that, making his 16th UFC appearance. What do you think here about the pay per view opener, sir? Uh, Jimmy Crute and Anthony Smith. I think this is a lot tougher out for Jimmy Crute than the odds makers are letting it out to be. You're talking about a guy in Anthony Smith that's going to make the walk professionally as a mixed martial artist for the 51st time. Uh, on Saturday. And as we say on our show, uh, experience is the currency of combat. This is a big deal. You're talking about a guy that has 13 fights going up against a guy that's been there, done that in several weight classes at 51 professional fights. He has fought the best of the best. I know people are sleeping on Anthony because he's had a couple setbacks recently. But if you look at the caliber of opponent, the strength of schedule, if you will, it's right. unmatched really as far as light heavyweight and middleweight is concerned. It's nothing but killers. You put these guys against each other 10 times, and I feel like this comes out 50-50. And that being said, getting that price on Anthony at a 50-50 odds, the way I'm looking at it, given the, everything that we know from skill set to experience, I think you really can't go wrong with a play on Anthony Smith here. 
I really believe this fight is much closer than the odds makers have it. I think you look at it with with a smart approach. I mean, big win over Devin Clark for Anthony Smith, Kenny by submission, and that closed out what otherwise was a pretty challenging 2020 for him. You know, seems to be enough distance removed from that crazy house robbery where maybe that mentally is not occupying as much space as yeah. it did previously. I can understand why Dale sees some value there. Jimmy Crute's an absolute maniac approaching his fighting prime. Your thoughts on the uh, the light heavyweight opener here, Ken Flo? You know, I think uh, Dale kind of broke this down extremely well. Um, however, I, I think I need to go the other way because, you know, I, I do think that Jimmy Crute is a guy who definitely has a lot of very dangerous weapons. I, I think that striking-wise, I think he's going to be the guy who possesses a little bit more power. Um, I think he's going to be the faster fighter out there as well. Um, but absolutely. Well, what, what did Dale say? Uh, experience is the currency for a lot of fighters. I think that's a great line and it's very true. And I think for Anthony Smith, this guy has seen pretty much everything in the octagon at this point. Um, however, I, I think that this is one of those fights. He can't necessarily use his ground advantage against Jimmy Crute either. So yeah, for this one, I, 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 I like Jimmy here. I couldn't agree more with Dale on the odds. I think they're out of whack. I think they should be way closer. However, um, I am going to go with Jimmy Crute. All right, Kenflo goes with Chalk there and Jimmy Crute as the minus 200 favorite. Yeah, you listen to Punchless MMA. That's what you're getting. Experience is the currency of combat. See, Dale, I listen. I I, I don't I appreciate that. Shit, but, you know. Listen, I will I will gladly – we can co-sign that away right now if I hear it on the <laughs> broadcast. I'll tell yeah. you right uh, now. Uh, so. I, hey, yeah, I might have to uh, actually find a way to work that in this weekend. All right, middleweight fight here. Ken Flo, I'm going to have you lead this one off. Uriah Hall, minus 115. Chris Weidman, minus 105. So Hall, slightly favored in some spots. Pick him, whatever. As for our purposes, you're getting Weidman as the underdog. Uh, they met in 2010. Both fighters very green at that point in time. Hall coming off a big main event win and finish of Anderson Silva last year on Halloween. Weidman is back in the win column as well, Ken Flo. Big fight in terms of the middleweight division. And if Weidman is going to make one more run, he's got to have it. Your thoughts on Weidman and Hall here coming up in five days. Huge fight for Chris Weidman. Um, and I think a lot of the pressure is going to be on Chris here. I think Uriah Hall is fighting Chris at a very good time where Chris has been a little inconsistent uh, right with his performances. Uh, however, I do like the news that he's feeling much better that um, perhaps a lot of his injuries that he's been dealing with over the years are kind of behind him now. I think he's going to need that uh, to go against a much more motivated, a much more mature, and a much more skilled uh, Uriah Hall. Uh, I think Uriah Hall is really coming into his own. Um, yeah. And I think he's going to be extremely dangerous on the feet. I think Uriah is going to be the more technical striker. There's no doubt about that. But I do think he has suffered against two things, pressure and wrestling. And Chris Weidman does have that. I think he has to be very careful in his approach because Uriah Hall isn't exactly the same guy, but Chris can use pressure and wrestling to get the win here. I think yeah. he'll be able to do that. I like Chris Weidman for the win. So Dale, Uriah Hall's had a lot of good influences over the years. Clayton Hires has been a good corner man for him over the years, but 
this alignment with Fortis MMA has given Uriah Hall the team that he really didn't have, the training partners consistently that maybe he didn't have over the years, and the head coach, the general, Safe Saud, that seems to be helping him mentally put it all together. Uh, what do you think about this matchup in particular for Uriah Hall coming up against Weidman? I think what I mean, you literally set it up perfectly here. You know, a lot of times and I'm going to break this down as being respectful to both these men as I possibly can, not being a mixed martial artist and not putting myself in that position before. But both of these guys have a lot of mental things going on right now. You're talking about a Chris Weidman that's lost five of his last seven. And then to be fair to Uriah Hall, he's a guy that coming out of the ultimate fighter had the whole world looking at him and just really kind of. I don't want to say failed to meet expectations, but kind of fell a little bit short every time the lights got really bright. There were even spots in the fight with the with the Anderson Silva fight where it looked like Anderson was keeping it very competitive and that Anderson might be able to harness greatness one more time. And Uriah was having those moments where the eyes kind of glazed over. He went into autopilot and then he'd go in between rounds. Uh, you know, Saif would put him back in in game mode and then he'd come back out and he executed very well. If you look at a guy like Chris Weidman, Weidman, from a mental standpoint, always believes he's one or two great performances away from getting back to the, the title picture. Whether or not there's any accuracy to that, you know, matchmaking's funny sometimes. But if right. to your point, if he's going to rewind, if he's going to dial it back, or if he's going to, to, to reset Father Time's clock, he has got to beat a guy like Uriah Hall. We've seen him be able to do that before. He's got wins over Anderson Silva, who, when Uriah Hall was coming out of the Ultimate Fighter, was getting comparisons to an Anderson Silva. My concern with Uriah Hall betting him going into this is that this is a make-or-break fight as far as career trajectory is concerned. He has to beat Chris Weidman. You have got to beat a Chris Weidman that's lost five of the last seven. If you're Chris Weidman, you have absolutely got to beat Uriah Hall, or you're done. You're done in, in the sense that you're not going to get that many big spots. He got a, I don't want to say a layup, but he got a pretty decent spot favorable with Omari Akhmedov. He got the decision win. You've got to go out there and show that you've still got it against a guy, to Kenny's point, that seems to be entering that peak of performance that we knew that he was capable of. He's got to clip those wings and keep Uriah from flying, and he's got to do it right now if he has any shot moving forward. I'm going to go with Chris Weidman here, which seems crazy. A lot of my listeners are going to be like, what the hell is happening here? Why is Dale taking Chris <laughs> Weidman? Honestly, I was on Uriah until I started talking, and I believe I just talked myself into Chris Weidman. How about that? Based on the fact that Uriah has really come up a little bit short whenever the lights are the brightest. Do I think he should win this fight? Yes. But am I concerned about the mental? Yes. So I'm going to go Chris Weidman here. All right. I'm curious to see where that betting line closes. Ken Flo, I think you were on mute there, but – uh I do think that Kenny's pretty persuasive when it comes to uh he can be. I was just that's exactly right. I, my mind control methods are working beautifully. <laughs> You're right, exactly. Um, here's the thing. <laughs> I think Kenny has the best hotel Wi-Fi I've ever seen in my life. This guy's in crystal clear 4K HD. I can't I mean, with respect to my co-host, Trey, he's not he's not Ken Flo. This is this is not fair, man. God. And I'm sitting here looking at these accommodations thinking I've been at a Holiday Inn Express for 18 months. Where are they putting these guys up? <laughs> I know. Right? All right. Title fights the rest of the way, fellas. And we're going to have Dale lead all three of these. Flyweight championship. Valentina Shevchenko minus 400 against Jessica Andrade, who is plus 300. Dale, as you know, will need the round and the method of victory. So if you look at the odds history for Valentina Shevchenko, she has been a larger betting favorite for all 
four previous title defenses, Jessica Islas, Carmouche, Caitlin Chukagian, Jennifer Maya, Andrade as credentials as it gets. I don't have to set this up for you guys. Former strawweight champ, one of the most accomplished women in UFC history, wins in three different weight classes, 19th UFC appearance for Andrade. Very competitive her last time out against uh, Caitlin Chukagian, of course, with a win, and then competitive against Rose Namajunas, the fight prior. I'm curious, Dale, if you see any value at all on the Andrade side, and, and ultimately, which way are you going? I think if you're up on the night and you want to make a little extra beer money and finish things with a bang, go ahead and throw it, throw a little spot on, on Drage. For my money though, that she's on top. I would not touch her at all. Shevchenko, she's a fighter. She's in rarefied air here, right? You don't bet against Shevchenko until you see her lose. We haven't seen anything that's going to give us pause short of Amanda Nunes to say this woman's going to lose a fight anytime soon. If you're looking at Shevchenko here, you need to try to find a way to bring that number down. Shevchenko by decision is a good play. You might think that she might get creative as the fight goes on. Maybe Shevchenko by submission might be something that you're looking at just to spice things up a little bit. Maybe the over-under on rounds, I believe that's at four and a half right now. Maybe play the under. I really just think that you got to find a way to bring value to Valentina here because I don't believe outside of a puncher's chance that Andrade really is going to present anything that Shevchenko has not already encountered and handled. I don't want to say with relative ease, but with relative ease, she is unstoppable right now until proven otherwise, much like Kamara Usman until I see them lose spoiler alert for the main event until they, until I see them lose, it's going to be very hard to justify betting against them. So you got to try to whittle that number down. Shevchenko, uh, you know, by decision seems like a viable play here. I wouldn't really yeah. go on Draj unless you're feeling a certain type of way with your money. We, we pride ourselves in being a little bit more on the frugal side. I'd go Shevchenko by decision. That's me. Ken Flo, Valentina Shevchenko, 9-2 and two in the UFC. Those only two losses, as you well know, to Amanda Nunes. And it's amazing to think, and we oftentimes say this when Valentina fights, but if you go back to UFC 215 in September of 2017, one judge's scorecard is different. The whole narrative of UFC women's history changes, right? And I still hold Shevchenko in that GOAT conversation right there with Amanda Nunes, but uh, one judge's scorecard is all it takes to change that whole narrative. What are your thoughts, Ken Flo, Shevchenko, Andrade, and, and how competitive will this women's flyweight championship fight be? You know, I, I agree with a lot of what Dale said. I, I think that Shevchenko is um, the champion for a reason. I don't see a whole lot of challenges out there for her. You know, when this match was announced, I don't know if it was an intuition or something, but something told me watch out for Andrade. The way that she matches up against Valentina, I think she poses some very interesting problems for Shevchenko because in the clinch, sometimes Shevchenko will actually engage and try to throw her opponent, will try to do foot trips, and she's successful more often than not. There's no doubt about that. But Andrade in the clinch is a completely different animal. She is extremely powerful. We know how how strong her takedowns are. Um, and sometimes Shevchenko will score a takedown here and there and find herself on bottom. I don't think she wants to be there for too long against someone like Andrade. I do think she's going to be able to weather that storm. I do think it's going to be another um, Shevchenko decision here. Um, it, it may not be the most exciting fight. But I don't see Shevchenko losing. I don't see her losing anytime soon. She's extremely motivated. She's a martial artist all the way to her bones. Um, I, I think she gets the win here and retains her title. 
I love the way you broke that down, both of you men. And wouldn't that be something if Andrade broke through and joined that group of two division UFC champions? Not simultaneous, but a lot in front of Andrade this yeah. weekend. All right, strawweight title fight. Zhang Wei Li minus 195, Rose Namajunas plus 155. This the closest on paper of the three title fights, and it is the second title defense for Zhang Wei Li. First since that insane encounter with Joanna Yeon Jacek that I watched back this week and again scored it for Yeon Jacek. That was March of 2020. Uh, Thug rose out since the win by split decision over Jessica Andrade. Of course, she was bruised and battered late Dale, but did enough early to win that fight. She has only fought once respectively in 2018, 19, and 20. And Nami Yun is still just 28 years old. What does she have for the champion Zhang Weili? I think she presents some unique challenges uh, for Wei Li. And, you know, one of the things that she does really well is she cuts angles and moves laterally very well. Uh, a lot of the people that, you know, especially Joanna, when she's coming at or when she was coming up, uh, Wei Li, she was coming in. It was very much moving center or moving forward, moving backwards. And it was 50-50 exchanges. They would come in, engage in a 50-50 exchange, and then back out and then come in. And it was just like watching two Rams just go right, at it right. over and over and over again. But Rose moves very well laterally. She cuts angles and you can't discount the coaching and the fact that she has the big show experience. I just wonder if Red Pill Rose is going to be able to put it all together here against a, a woman like Zhang Weili that that really has shown herself to kind of be indestructible in the ways that Rose would need to get this fight done. We haven't seen anybody really threaten her with submissions. We haven't really seen her rocked despite taking Joanna's best shots. So is Rose going to have more power? Is she going to carry more power than Joanna? She might have more of a submission threat, but my concern with Rose is that like all flowers, she tends to wilt the longer she's out. The longer she goes, the, the more things start to happen. If you look at the Andrade fight, the first seven minutes and 50 seconds of that fight, she was on point using the jab, cutting angles, moving her head. She looked fantastic. And then slowly, the bruiser that is Jessica Andrade started to touch her, started to touch her, started to wear her down a little bit. And then Rose started to wilt. And then to your point, at the end of the fight, she was battered. Her eye was leaking. She was in bad shape. If that was a five-round fight, You'd be hard pressed to convince me that Rose was going to win that. So you take that that same, you know, analogy or whatever you want to call it, and put that again in a prototype that is Zhang Wei Li, and tell me how she doesn't batter her despite probably dropping the first round, maybe two, but rounds three, four, and five, I believe, are solely going to belong to the champion. And I would look here if you need a round and method of victory. I'm looking for a late stoppage by Zhang. I'm going to go round four. TKO. How about that? Round four TKO for Zhang Wei Lee. And again, nicely done on the breakdown, Dale. Yeah, Kenful, I just have so much respect for both of these athletes. And I think we've all enjoyed sort of following Zhang Wei Lee and her training habits from afar. And you know how much Rose has put into this. Every time she makes the walk, you know she's going all in, chips to the center of the table, leaving no stone unturned. Ken Flo, I've been dying to know which way you're going to fall on this title fight. Is it going to be the favorite John Wei Lee or Rose Namajunas in the plus 155 range? I love this fight. Uh, I'm truly fascinated by it. Uh, I think it's going to be an intriguing one, and I think it's going to be a very technical fight. Um, and I think it has to be for Rose Namajunas more than it is for Zhang Wei Li. I think Zhang Wei Li can brawl, as we all found out, against uh, Yuan Young Jacek. She can certainly do that, and she is tough as nails um 
I think that she's going to have to find a way to get on the inside, and I just don't think it's going to be easy for her. I think Rose Namunis' jab needs to be on fire on Saturday night. She's going to have to keep Zhang Wei Li on the outside with jabs and kicks uh, and movement. And if Zhang Wei Li does try to get in close and, and fire off those rapid fire combinations, Rose is going to have to look for a way to clink her up uh, and, and possibly take it to the mat. And like Dale was saying, I think we haven't seen Zhang Wei Li really challenge on the mat. I think if there's someone who could do it, it is definitely Rose Namajunas. But I think we forget of how technical Rose Namajunas is on the feet as well. I think that if there's someone who's going to uh, be quick with their combination, who's going to be able to fire those combinations off and sting them? It's probably Zhang Wei Li. But I, I think we also underrate the power of Nami Yunus to a certain extent. I mean, she definitely hurt Yuana Young Jacek, uh, you know, in the second fight. We all know that she obviously, um, you know, knocked her out in, in the first. But, you know, I, I think that uh, Rose um, is is a developing martial artist. She's training all the time. She always comes back with, um, you know, new tricks. She's always coming back a little bit smarter. I like Rose Nami Yunus in this one by decision. I don't think it's going to be easy. I can certainly see Zhang Wei Li winning, but uh, maybe it's because I'm a big Rose Namajunas fan, but uh, I'm going with Rose here. Little out of juice for me now watching that fight octagon side. All right, let us get to the main event. It is Kamaru Usman minus 400, Jorge Gamebred Masvidal plus 300 for the undisputed UFC welterweight title. So last July, quick backdrop, Masvidal steps in for Gilbert Burns. I truly couldn't believe when I got the text from my boss that he was taking the fight. There were rumblings that maybe he wasn't well, just an absolute warrior. But Usman, I think, deserves ample credit as well for the performance, for staying focused in, you know, going from fight to teammate to a, a grudge match type fight. And I'm OK with with Usman wanting this fight again. Not only is it the biggest money fight, but Ken Flo, it seems like he wants a more decisive result. And he only fought what will be 70, 71 days ago, Dale, did Kamar Usman in defense in mid-February against Gilbert Burns. So, Dale Lippin, you're on the clock. Who wins the main event and how do they get it done? To me, it's very hard to go against a guy that just 50-43'd the man he's getting ready to fight again. That's very – I mean, that's – I usually don't go as heavy chalk as we're going this, you know, this show. Right. However, if you look at what I what – I, value as far as what I want to see out of a fighter, uh, you know, unlimited cardio, a strong foundation in wrestling and an ability to make things ugly when it needs to be and technical when it has to be. Kar Kamara Usman embodies those things and the move out to, you know, working with Trevor Whitman, that jab that we saw again in the Gilbert Burns fight was something that was a new tool that we have seen in a developing fighter. What concerns me about Jorge Masvidal, who has been fighting, you know, honestly, since I was probably in high school and then has been around the block and has a wealth of experience. I don't know what Jorge is going to add in the next, you know, with a full camp that he maybe didn't necessarily have skill set wise going into this fight. Right. What what new tool is Masvidal going to add that Usman is not going to be ready for? If you look at a guy like Kamaru, he's still, despite his record, still relatively young in the sport. He can add yeah. new things. He can add new skills. He can put upgrades on that game and make it better. That that jab is an upgrade that we've seen. A guy like Masvidal, what's Masvidal going to add to his skill set that Usman can't be prepared for this time? Can you teach an old dog in Jorge Masvidal a new trick 
that will get Usman out of there. I don't necessarily know that you can. And you can't discount the coaching and the teachability of a guy like Kamar Usman. What concerns me about him being so heavy on the chalk side here is that he got cracked in the Gilbert Burns fight. He was in trouble there for a little bit. He steadied himself and then ultimately got Gilbert out of there. One of the things that makes me so nervous is when you have a guy that is predominantly a wrestler and he gets a knockout victory. It's almost like he falls in love with his hands and that's what he wants to do. He's like, oh, that felt really great. I want to do that again. And it sort of takes them out. So you add the added component of the animosity that he feels towards Masvidal. You add the fact that he's coming off of a, a, a victory where his hands really never looked better. And you just, I don't, I don't know. I don't want him to, you know, get away from what got him to the big show, right? Like just do what you did to make yourself a champion, collect your check and get out of there. I think it's harder to dominate somebody for 25 minutes than it is to go out there and knock them out in one minute. No and doubt. if you go out there and you completely blank them on the scorecards, two fights in a row, you essentially kill Jorge Masvidal's title aspirations as long as you're in the division. Nobody's going to want to see that again. If you get 50-43 twice in a row, despite having a full camp or a shortened camp, it's a wrap, man. You're going to have to get a different champ in there in order to make a, a, any sort of argument that Jorge needs to be a uh, needs to be in, a t in title contention again. I'm taking Usman by decision yet again. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's chalky as hell, but yeah. Why, why not take that? I don't no, know. No, I understand. And I'd imagine when we talk to Joe Osborne here in a little bit, that he's probably going to be leaning towards that proposition as well. Ken Flo, what do you think about this main event and, uh, and how different it could be from what we saw last July? Yeah. I mean, listen, I think that Jorge Masvidal is going to be way more prepared. He's going to have way more energy. I think his weight cut is going to be way easier. All that said, all that said, Again, um, it, it is hard to go against any other pick. I mean, one of the most consistent picks you can make in all of mixed martial arts is Kamar Usman by position yeah, right. uh, against anybody. So Kamar Usman, his wrestling, uh, his ability to develop his striking, his consistency, his chin, his toughness. Um, he already knows what to do against someone like Jorge Masvidal. He has practiced doing it already. Uh, and Jorge does as well. He can make his adjustments as well. However, um, wrestling, I say it all the time, wrestling, grappling in general is extremely difficult to just get better at in three months, six months, a year, two years, right? Striking, you can make some pretty good improvements, you know, in three months, six months. Um, in, in my opinion, if you're a good athlete uh, and you have a good coach, but with grappling, it's just not like that. It, it takes years. It takes years. And Kamar Usman has such an advantage there that I think that uh, it's going to be another clinch, get him up against the fence, take down, rinse, wash, repeat. Kamar Usman by decision. I love Jorge Masvidal. Uh, been following his career since the very beginning, since before he was even in the UFC. Uh, but I just think this is one of those matchups that's always going to be difficult for him. He's undersized here against Kamaro. Um, and uh, Usman's just been on fire, man. I love both of these guys as individuals. I can't wait to see what Game Bread can do with this second unique opportunity. But uh, if I had an MMA capper come on here and just say 13 and 0, Kamar Usman in the UFC, I'm going back to the well. Like I wouldn't necessarily need much more analysis than that necessarily. Uh, if you want more from Dale Lippin at Punchlist MMA, check out his podcast. It is absolutely worth your while. Dale, great stuff, my man. It's great to turn the tables on you, brother. Good job. And uh, hopefully we can do it again down the line, my man. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys letting me come on the show. I want to give a shout out to everybody that listens to our show. They made literally all of this possible. Our fan base is rabid and they really kind of brought this whole thing together. I appreciate you having me on, giving me the opportunity. And I told you in an email, um, thanks to our episode together, I landed my very first commentary gig. So May 8th, I'll be, I'll be done in the cans and, uh, doing, doing some commentary for a local promotion here, but I appreciate the opportunity and, and, you know, you guys continuing to, uh, you know, support and interact with us. It, it means the world to fans and podcasters alike. You guys are, you know, revered seriously. So thank you. <laughs> Dale, congrats, man. Thank you. Great thank job. You. Great job today. Dale, that's great. It was only a matter of time before somebody was going to come sign that voice. So, uh, Listen, man, best I'll of luck whatever. on May 8th and, uh, <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, my man. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. All right, good stuff there. We shall see how it plays out. UFC 261, Usman versus Masvidal 2. Now it is time, though, for the pick to click. It is brought to you by Oddshark, your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in-depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. Head over to Oddshark and start playing like a shark today. That's oddshark.com. Don't forget the second S. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner, and I'll never lose. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. And now with us from oddshark.com, the man whose energy is just infectious. Although I don't love your choice of hat selection today, rocking the Miami Dolphins lid, but it is what it is. <laughs> Sports betting analyst Joe Osborne. The show is Guys and Bets. The website is oddshark.com. It is great to see you, my friend. How you doing? Guys, Anik and Florian on a Monday night. I don't. I don't, know get, I don't know if it gets any better than this on a Monday night. You know, it's all downhill from here. So, uh, so I'm doing pretty good. You know, we got a, a great event coming up. Uh, very, very interesting from a betting perspective too. Considering you know, pretty lopsided odds in a lot of these title fights. And of course, we have the Miami Dolphins drafting six overall in the draft here That's a week right. from uh, Thursday. So, pretty pumped up for the uh, what we have coming up on the sports calendar. And I know if I need you on a Monday night in April, I'm okay. If I need you on a Monday night in September, it's probably a different conversation. So we appreciate you joining us in your customary pay-per-view week slot. All right, so three title fights. So Mm. we're not going to bury the lead. Valentina Shevchenko is fighting Jessica Andrade. Now, you are getting a better price on Valentina Shevchenko than you have gotten recently. But minus 400 is just a prohibitive price for a lot of people. Prohibitive meaning they just can't lay that, you know, 40 bucks to pay 10. It just doesn't yeah. work. So I don't know if you see any value on the Andrade side of plus 300, but how how are you betting this women's flyweight championship fight, if at all? Uh, we're going all props for all the title fights, actually. So this one, uh, I think this is a really good spot. You can get Shevchenko inside the distance at plus money, guys, plus 135. I like that spot I quite like that. a bit. So very interesting stylistically from a striking perspective, right? You have the patience and precision of Shevchenko versus the power of Andrade, who gives it a lot, lands over six significant strikes per minute, but also takes it a lot, absorbs over five significant strikes per minute. I think that's ultimately going to be her undoing in this fight because take a look at some recent opponents for Shevchenko. Uh, the aggressive ones may be a bit more defensively challenged in uh, Caitlin Chikugi and, and I. They were both put away inside of three rounds both of those fighters absorb over four significant strikes per minute and you know we've seen Andra she's been finished a handful of times in the UFC and I do think her aggressive nature that's going to leave the door open 
for some openings for that precision from Shevchenko. And also Shevchenko, four-inch reach advantage in this fight, guys. That's pretty big for this division, right? So uh, Shevchenko, plus money to win inside of five rounds versus a very aggressive striker. That might be my favorite uh, bet on this entire card. Joe, for me, the the most intriguing fight is Rose Namajunas against Zhang Wei Li. Um, how do you see this going down? I ended mm. up picking uh, Rose Namajunas. Wow. Um, what what do you see here? Yeah, well, Rose's improvement over the course of her UFC career, uh, she's improved by leaps and bounds from a striking perspective uh, with uh, Trevor Whitman as the head coach, right? But Here's what this comes down to me. I'm not willing to bet against the 21 fight win streak of Whaley in this one. And yeah. at around minus 200, that's not, not too bad. Really. I, I don't mind that. Uh, uh, I, I usually don't go that high, but I don't mind laying that two to one, not a bad spot. Um, and you look at her UFC career, very high output. She has a better striking differential than Rose Namajunas. Um, but if you're looking to get a little bit of value, if you don't like going, you know, if you're a 20, $50 better, you're probably right. not very interested in minus 200 odds. Right. So I think we have a case here. Uh, same with the main event, two fighters that are very hard to put away, right? Whaley's never been finished in her career. Whereas Nama Junis, you might point to the Andrade KO, a bit of a, uh, unconventional finish to that one with the slam KO, right? right? So both are very tough. And you look at the history of the, uh, the straw weight division uh, in the UFC uh, or the last nine t- times the title has been on the line. Six of those times it did end up going to decision. So both are very hard to put away. You know, I don't mind Wei Lee in the minus 200 range, but a little yeah. bit better value. I could see it going to decision minus 145 or Wei Lee. Once again, not a bad plus money spot at plus 160. Yeah, I'm still stuck on that Shevchenko plus money because it's a fun way to watch the fight too, right? I hate betting on over four and a half, you know, and it's like for me, I'm not betting anyway, but it's like, like, I hate betting that I, you know, bet Shevchenko and then just root for her to put her away, right? I had the over four and a half and Robert Whitaker, Calvin Gastelum. Oh, yeah, you did. And there were some close calls on that one. So I'm sitting up on my couch at, you know, 1.30 a.m. Just the heart beating, you know, on the edge of the seat. Like, don't finish him, don't finish him. So, yeah, it's a very, very difficult. It's different from, you know, you watch an entire basketball game or a football game and you hope the guy will miss a field goal or whatever, you know, uh, They'll, uh, they'll go four and out or something or not convert on fourth down, but it's yeah. so much different uh, in, in fighting where, boom, one hit and the fight can end. Yeah. So very nerve-wracking way to watch UFC. Right. You're sitting there literally 1.30 a.m. Eastern time praying that Whitaker takes him down and runs clock, right, instead of knocks him out so you can go to bed. That's it's what very you twisted. want. Yeah. Um, all right. Before we let you go, Jorge Masvidal mm. taking on Kamar Usman. Again, we've trotted out the betting line, minus 400 on one side, plus 300 on the other or so. Uh, I'd imagine maybe you have a proposition on the Usman side. What do you got for us? Of course. Well, Usman is the pick to win, but I don't think he's the best bet. You know, you take a look at that that first fight, and obviously he completely dominated that fight. He landed more significant strikes, and he landed at a higher percentage. And, you know, Usman backers might say, well or Masvidal backers might say he took that fight on six days notice. Well, guess what? Usman was fighting him on six days notice too. He was training for a completely different opponent. So 
he uh, has a bit of an excuse there maybe as well. And here's the scary thing about Usman. And we saw that in the Gilbert Burns fight, his striking is catching up to his wrestling, isn't it? And, you know, see it, watching him fight behind that jab, that reminded me of a former welterweight great who also had a pretty good wrestling pedigree in that George St. Pierre a little bit there. So, um, you know, I think Usman, maybe even after this fighter, at least by the end of the year, he's going to be in the discussion for the best pound for pound fighter in the UFC with that yes. striking catching up to the wrestling. And as for Mavidal, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, guys. I do think he's a little bit overrated. Um, I, I think it's a bit of a stretch to call him a, a journeyman. That's a bit in, insulting. He's better than that. But at the championship level with a top five right now, pound for pound guy, I don't think he's going to be able to to hang with them. So, you know, what does this come down to for the best bet? And it's another thing that I'm not really willing to bet against. Neither of these guys has been finished inside the UFC in their careers. That's 32 combined fights, and neither of them has been finished. You know, outside the UFC, Masvidal was last finished way back in 2009 in uh, Bellator. I think you know something about that, John. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah Toby uh, Mata, inverted, reverse inverted triangle choke. My poor ass had I, I had called maybe four MMA events in my life. I'm like, what is going on here? This dude's upside down. This other dude's turning purple, and I'm supposed to explain what's going on. And the dude <laughs> turning purple, of course, was was Gamebird Masvidal. And to your point, hasn't been finished in the 12 years that have expired since. Yeah, and then then you look at Usman. He was last finished way back in 2013. His second career fight right? right so uh Usman by decision minus 125 I like that quite yeah. a bit if you think yeah. it's going to be a bit closer you can get the fight to go the distance where either fighter can win that's here at minus 175 but you know Usman uh maybe a minor red flag is a very short notice fight because he usually has right. a pretty big gap between yep. his fights so maybe that I, I don't know if you're looking yeah. for red flags if you're looking for excuses to pick Masvidal, I don't see it. That's more of something that you're guessing that that would right. impact him negatively. But uh, he's just so incredibly well-rounded with that striking catching up to the yeah. the wrestling. And, you know, uh, a good case for going to a decision is, uh, you know, he's got that wrestling in his back pocket. And he's probably going to try to finish him. But if Masvidal is being very competitive in the feed, he can he can lean on that wrestling and he can yeah. dominate in that area. He can lean on him up against the cage. And when you're betting overs, when you're betting fights to go to decisions, that what that's what you love to see those guys pressing on each other up against the cage. Right, right, so, right. Uh, yeah, so pretty chalk heavy with uh, if, if you like the champions to retain in this one, like I yeah. do. But some some pretty good prop betting opportunities on the card for sure. We should have that thirty foot octagon for you folks in uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. So perhaps that plays into uh, the capping as well. All right, if you want more from Joe Osborne at JTFOZ on Twitter, you can find him on Instagram at Paper Chaser Joe. Uh, Houston beckons next month, my friend. I wish you guys all the best with your NFL draft coverage, and uh, we'll talk to you in uh in a few short weeks my friend thank you my man good luck on the call good luck to you guys and uh good luck to all the listeners as well thank you buddy there he is my good friend joe osborne with us here on the anakin flooring podcast all right before we go a couple of programming notes for you here Usman Masvidal, when they fought at UFC 251, Ken Flo actually did a Florian's Fight Forms for our Anik Florian podcast YouTube viewers. So there is an Usman Masvidal breakdown from Ken Flo on our website right now. 
AnakFlorianPodcast.com for all of your merchandise needs if you want Anakin Florian podcast gear. Friday night, you can watch Ken Flo on the PFL broadcast on ESPN2. So unless someone gets hurt, you're not fighting Friday night, right? Is that essentially <laughs> what, right? Yeah, unless I mean, if hurt. someone gets injured... You know, right. and there's a there's a slot open. All right. All, right. No. All right. So let me ask you this. And I would never sit here and try to ask you to compare your nerves for a, a live broadcast versus a, a championship right. fight. OK, so I'm not doing that. Right. But, you know, last time you and I called a UFC fight together, I think it was July of 2016. You've done battle bots. You've had a lot of different things from a broadcasting standpoint that you have done in the yep. years that have expired. but. Don't you think you'd be feeling a little something on Friday night in a good oh, way, nerves that you can channel? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I felt it as I was, you know, heading towards the airport. You know, I, yeah, again, yeah. Um, I haven't done this in a little while. It's a three-man booth, uh, you know, so I, I'm looking forward to really learning as much as possible, having fun uh, and, and doing what I love. But uh, I'd be lying to you if I, if I said that I wasn't feeling yeah. any butterflies right now. So I, I, I miss it I, and I look forward to it, man. Well, and I would just say it's like if I was a fighter turned broadcaster and I was having any of those nerves, I would be looking at myself in the mirror and being like, fucko, you went in there and fought BJ Penn for the world title. Like, <laughs> you're just going to talk about fighting. Like, I just think it would be very exactly. empowering. It would be very empowering for me had I fought. Sure to walk in to do a fucking broadcast. It's like, yeah, I think I can do this as long as you don't make me take my shirt off and go fight another man in the cage. I'm good. Um, Absolutely, man. All right. So Ken Flo on PFL Friday night. And then uh, the monster that is UFC 261. Hopefully you will join us for the prelims on ESPN and then the pay-per-view main card on ESPN plus. Uh, thank you to our guests, Ray Longo, Dale Lippin, Joe Osborne, our executive producer, chief marketing officer is Cody Merrow. Thank you all for listening, for watching. We appreciate that for Ken Flo and John Anik. Until next week, don't text and drive. And um, in closing, exhibition boxing match, three three-minute rounds, Militich versus Anik. And if I win, Pat has to wear a mask for a month. We'll talk to you <laughs> next week. It. You won't do it. Yell later.